to take these off. A reading from 2 Corinthians. For we are the aroma of Christ, to God among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing. To the one, a fragrance from death to death, and the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not peddlers of God's word like so many, but in Christ we speak as persons of sincerity, as persons sent from God and standing in his presence. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Surely we do not need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you, do we? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter of Christ, prepared by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, folks, uh, if you weren't here last week, Ryan did uh, such a skillful job. He really did. Uh, Maybe too bad he didn't get the number of Paul's letters right. Uh, That's a little bit of an intramural joke between Ryan and I, and we're battling back and forth. But if you weren't here, uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians, we have those two letters. In reality, I think, and... Many people think that there were four letters that were actually written. So our, our first Corinthians is number two, and our second Corinthians is number four. And that is just a fascinating way to, to, to look at it. But Ryan, apart from my teasing you a little bit, you nailed the troubling metaphor that just decodes this book. Uh, Kim, go ahead and show that one. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in triumphal procession in Christ. Now, this was a scene that everybody, large towns, small towns, everybody knew the backstory of this because they were part of the Roman Empire. And everybody heard how when Roman generals like Scipio came back to town after his great victories, they had a party to end all parties. And it started first with huge, massive baskets of flower petals dumped over the sides of of the buildings and they would come down all different colors like rainbow colored snow onto the street and then the trumpeters can you hear it it's their version of we are the champions a little bit syncopated for for their style But it's loud and it announces to everybody we are going to have a parade to end all parades. And then 120 bulls and the bulls are all tied together with these huge flower garlands and their horns are painted gold. I don't know the why of that, but right after them would come the soldiers. Platoon after platoon after platoon after platoon after platoon. And some of them are holding up giant dioramas their greatest battle scenes for everybody to see. Others held up 3D versions 
uh, with the names of cities that they had conquered. And as proof, what comes next is trailer load after trailer load after trailer load of booty. Textiles and statues and silver and pottery and gold. And folks, this would go on literally for an hour and a half that people were just shocked by the wealth of all of this. And then came the general, the great champion. His face painted red so that he looked like the, the god of war, Jupiter. And Mars, thank you, thank you, thank you. See, I need you around, Troy. And that was so great. And, and when people are hearing Paul say this, automatically they're thinking, okay, switch out Jesus for the general, and that makes us the soldiers with our victorious Jesus, onward Christian soldiers, right? Hold it. How about that, that captive word? Uh oh. Because after the general would come the captured slaves. And everybody knew how the parade would end. They'd be taken out to a giant center, and the last battle that Scipio or whoever it was would, had won would be reenacted. And all of those slaves would lose their lives or be transported off into slavery for the rest of their lives. Paul, (laughs) uh, we don't like this image very much. We like it that that Jesus is the victor, but uh, it doesn't feel good to us. And frankly, a lot of people have struggled with this throughout time. John Calvin was very uncomfortable with this, and so he twisted the grammar a little bit to uh, elevate us to, to be soldiers. But that's not really what Paul says. I think Paul is giving us just this hard, hard image of saying, no, Christ may be victors, but in the meantime, you're going to be losers. I think he does it for three reasons. First one, is I think he intends this to be a rhetorical reversal, a shock to the system of the people who were living in in Corinth. Because the values of Rome were autonomy and power and self-indulgence and voluptuousness and wealth. And all of that has been seeping into the life of the church there in Corinth. And there had been more recently some new leaders coming into the church. And they were creating a cocktail of Christianity mixed in with, with that of the Roman philosophies. And, and it was turning the church into a church of consumers. Uh, $100 haircuts with uh, hipster messages. Um, Step this way onto the escalator to take you into your best life now. Um, All this in heaven too. What a deal, huh? And Paul is saying somewhere in all of that 
we are losing the very ethos, the very centrality of the gospel of, of Christ. And what he's doing in something like this is to say, look, what I'm giving you is not something new. Wasn't it Jesus who said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross daily. Now, folks, think about that. Take up your cross daily. A cross is a tool of execution. It'd be like saying to people, take up your electric chair daily and follow me. That's just jolting. And Jesus had also said, if you want to follow me, it's going to mean that you're going to be like a seed that falls into the soil and dies. John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. And what Paul is doing here, I think, first thing is he's trying to shock their system to say, let us return back to the reality of, of what we are called to. We are called to follow the path of Jesus on the way to the cross for ourselves. That would have been a shock. Another reason that I think he does this is that, folks, I think what he's doing is he is revealing the process that he has had to go through because of all of the loss he's gone through in his life. If you were here week one, I talked about how the Paul that we're seeing here in 2 Corinthians isn't the same Paul that we knew really in 1 Corinthians or some of his earlier letters. This is a guy who has seen virtually every part of his life get pulverized. His health, his leadership stature, his physical health, the respect that he had. So here he is approaching 57, 58, 59 years old, and he had built all of this, and then now he is watching as it feels like it has all been pulverized. And I'm sure he had some moments where he was going, God, this is not fair. This is not what I signed on for. And he's had to go back through the process and go, you know what? Until I am adopted, the, the final adoption takes place. For right now, I shouldn't be surprised if I have to go through a time of loss and surrender. That's part of what I signed on for when I chose to become a follower of Christ, isn't it? I think it is. The third reason that I think he starts with an image so graphic is that he wants to say to these newer Christians, fasten your seatbelt. Because one of the things that, that happens to so many people when they go through their life and they, they encounter the slings and arrows of living on this earth, they're not prepared for what it does to them. It erodes their vital optimism in their faith that they silently kind of thought that if I'm a follower of Jesus, then it's going to be like my my rabbit's foot. I should get to have special privileges. And Paul is saying, don't get sucked into that. Buckle your seatbelt. Be prepared. Because I don't want you, when you go through those slings and arrows, to get stuck in your life. Understand that Christ will not allow anything to go to waste in your life. But in this life, you will encounter Great challenges, great hardships. 
And like I said in message number one, what Christ does is that he wants to absorb our losses, our disappointments, our brokenness into his own suffering. And something happens in all of that that he then turns it around and gives us strength from his own reservoir of, of, of strength. So this image, Ryan, you were, you were exactly correct. But it doesn't stop there. Look at the end of verse 14 and the start of verse 15. Through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Now, Paul is going to be using the words fragrance and aroma a lot. And so I think he probably had yellow roses in mind. What do you think? So uh, I would like... These, by the way, came from Sacramento for you today. Okay. On my bicycle. Lucas, will you come on up? And everybody gets one of these. That's right. So go ahead, hand these out. Fast. <laughs> what, you took four? I came with four. I didn't take four. I saw you looking around to get the... Are they all that way? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, can you share... Good morning, sisters. Good morning, brothers. Please take a rose. Share your rose. You just look so also much more smiley and, and sunny with holding roses. I don't know what it is. These are some fine-smelling roses. Thank you. <laughs> Senator, I have no knowledge. <laughs> I have no recollection. Smell like polo. No, yeah. just <laughs> hey, I don't want to take these things home. Okay, we got a lot of people at the back who are looking very sad because they don't have any roses yet, so... So, I got it? Okay. Everybody got one, right? So, here's what I want you to do. Hey, got to have a rose. <laughs> Give an extra one to your mother. Okay, good. Oh, Ann, you didn't get a rose, did you? <laughs> Just pull one out. I'm pulling my child. That's okay. That's what's been happening. Okay, what I want you to do now is I want you to take your rose. I'm going to do kind of the unthinkable. Uh, I want you to take your rose and I want you to kind of rub it 
beat it up a little bit, uh, add a little heat and pressure until you get the smell on your hands, right? Just You're not doing it. I did it. <laughs> okay, okay. Now, we're just trying an experiment, right? I didn't have anybody to try this with at home. My wife gets tired of my goofy ideas, and so this is just, you're stuck with me. <laughs> what's, what's that? You can thank her. Okay, yeah. Say, so what I want you to do is now, if you've done that, Martin, did you, did you, okay, all right, all right. I want you to put your roses down on the floor so you can't see it. Now, lift your hands, children. What do you smell? You smell the rose. Can't see the rose. This is Paul's point, that... Christ is in heaven right now, and we are the fragrance of Christ for people who may never open a Bible, they may never go to church, but when instead of running away from our challenges, our difficulties, our rejections, we run toward them, and even though our ego has been peeled back like it must have been for Paul, the fragrance, the aroma of Christ continues. Can you think of any examples in your life of people who live according to completely different values than the culture around them, but they exude this incredible fragrance that points back to, to Christ? Uh, who comes to mind for you? Let's talk about it a little bit. I have some in mind of, of people. One of them is Katie. She goes over to her neighbor Barbara's house. Barbara has dementia. And Katie sings hymns with Barbara. Because that's about all that Barbara can do any longer. She remembers music from her, her growing up. And so... It is this, on the one hand, from a, from a secular point of view, absolutely crazy. Here's a lady who won't remember that she was there three minutes after she leaves. But in that moment, Katie is being Jesus to a person, helping her connect back to a, a rich time of her life. And I go, that... That is an example. How about some of you? Let's hear some of your examples. What you just said, if my wife would have given me my allowance for the, this week, I'd give you a dollar, is exactly right. And Paul says that. Let me read it. There we go. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one group, a fragrance from death. 
from death to death, and to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is qualified for these things? For we are not peddlers of God's word like so many, but as persons of sincerity, as persons sent from God, we are speaking in Christ before God. We are going to be reviled and ridiculed, seen as weak. And so the very scent that, that the very fragrance of Christ that, that comes out, it may get ridiculed. It may be minimized. It may be seen as weakness, like it was in, in Paul's world. Did you know that the very traits that we think of as generosity and kindness and servanthood, the Romans despised those. And Paul is saying, the rest of the world may despise what they see in you, but don't give in to the way that they look at things. Instead, keep living, keep exuding the fragrance of Christ, even in the midst of the brokenness that you live with, the disappointments that you live with, the loss of health that you live with. Paul's message is, is powerful here. Uh, an example for me, Ken Brantley. He was a physician... Um, was it Liberia where the Ebola virus broke out? And he was, he's been a physician with Samaritan's Perth for like 20 years. And first he sent his family out, and then he made sure that, that all of his staff got the best preparations. And he was just an exemplary doctor. And, but eventually he contracted the disease and social media just blew up about him you know how stupid of him to be around this sickness so long because doesn't he realize what could happen his family could live without a father and and so the, the life of Jesus inside of him was reviled by social media but at the same time the rest of us looking on we're going there is something about Christ in that and Paul is saying, brothers and sisters, don't get sucked into the values of the world around you because they are so pervasive. Instead, I want you, I want you to really be willing to be like roses living under pressure and heat so that Christ comes through how you treat each other, how you do your business with each other, how you care for those who have nothing going for them. Um, so, Phil, uh, let's land this thing with some applications. I've got three for you. Number one, uh, just like Paul was trying to shocked the system of the Corinthians by using this triumphal procession. Um, I think that the church in America needs to be shaken right now. I'll speak as a pastor. I'm brokenhearted. I am crushed by what I see happening in the country right now where people from my roots, my parts of the country are just there's such a fierceness in their animosity, the level of contempt that they have for other people. Um, and I know where it comes from. Uh, 
If you grew up in the middle part of the country, you've got this residual impact of the Civil War. There's this, this residual shame that they have and resentment towards people on the coasts. There is also a sense of feeling like the people on the coast are always looking down on them. In a way, we've never gotten over the Civil War. Some of that stuff just continues. But there's also this sense of American individualism. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. My freedom matters more than anything else. And those dang people coming in across the border, they need to stay out. Now, you can have a whole variety of opinions on all of that, and, and we need to have all of those opinions. But what I'm talking about is kind of the flu of contempt, resentment, bitterness that has taken over the church. I understand how that happens. But what, where, what has come through in all of that is something that to the outside world doesn't feel anything like the gospel that they've heard bits and pieces of. It feels like entitlement. It feels at times like racism. It feels at times like arrogance and exceptionalism and pride. And again, folks, they, the church that I love is not my enemy. They are victims of the enemy. Paul says we, write, we fight against flesh and blood. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this present world. I can be just as, as caught up. But where I am stuck and, and, and why this weighs so heavily on me is that it doesn't feel like we have been grappling with what it is that Jesus called us to do. He called us to come and die. He called us to be willing to take on losing the advantage and privilege. And I feel like we are now in separate silos lobbing bombs at each other. And Paul is saying, be very, very careful, church, that you don't get sucked into the surrounding values of the communities that you live in. Because the same thing can happen here in Berkeley well, as well, because you have surrounding values. And Paul is saying, be very, very careful. Filter out what is not of Christ in the community values that, that you are living in right now to make sure that you indeed are Christ. Does this make sense at all or, or push back? Because you can tell that I'm struggling with it because it, it, it's hitting me personally so deeply. Um, I've been having very significant phone conversations with my siblings, and I love my siblings. But there are just walls that are going up and to me, folks, it feels like 
ever since the rise of the moral majority in the 1980s, the church has, has come to put their hope in politics and political solutions. And political solutions are not the same thing as the kingdom. And our highest calling is to Jesus Christ and to live as a sacrificial serving community of Jesus. So that's number one. Uh, second application. Second so what for me. Is I, how to say this one. I think this can be helpful if we take a page from the life of the Apostle Paul because what we're reading here is how he processed his own losses and disappointments. And I think to do this well, we have to sit and sift, sift out our own disappointments and think deeply about them. Let me give you an example. Uh, when I was planning a church back in Sacramento, the church was growing so fast. And people were coming up and they were saying, wow, God is really blessing you. And that felt so good because I loved the numbers and I loved that it made me feel like I was really the tool of, of, of God. So then what happens if that is how you measure if God is blessing you? What happens when... Five years later, six years later, this big building that you were going to buy that was going to be astounding, it doesn't happen. It gets sold out from under you. And you have a longtime staff member who has an incredible moral failure that divides and, oh, it was ugly, ugly, ugly. And you are putting in 50, 60, sometimes 65 hours a week. And you are frying. And we weren't growing like we had been. And you begin to internalize what? So God has, what have I done wrong? This is not what I was hoping. We're not really reaching people far from God. We're just kind of going at church. And I didn't have a way to process these disappointments. To me, it just felt like a giant failure. Nothing was really going externally wrong, but it just felt like I was stuck. Paul has felt like that. And he is watched as his leaders have defected. He's watched as people have physically, I think, beat him up. He's been in prison. And he has come back to what we talked about in week number one. That somehow Christ absorbs, wants to absorb our disappointments, our brokenness. The things that feel like failures to us, 
He absorbs those somehow mystically so that his comfort can flow to us. And that's what they're grappling with, the people in Corinth, and it's what I want to speak to you too because you might look back over your life. If you're like me, there are things that you think about at 3 o'clock in the morning when the lights are off. Regrets, mistakes, poor judgment, things that bombed. All that stuff flows around in my head. Probably does yours too. And it's in all of that, Paul comes along and says, do you remember that we told you that this was going to be part of your story? It doesn't mean that your story has gone wrong, but you are part of a cosmic battle. And you've been caught in the crossfire. And Christ will not allow what you're going through to go to waste. The last one, the last application for me is really a question. It's a simple one. It goes like this. If you've gone through times like that, if you've gone through times of, of difficulty, do you trust that Christ is going to use you in new ways that you've not seen? Because if we truly are part of the, of the workings of God in this world and he is going to use our failures, do you believe that he is going to somehow surprise you and be working in the lives of people that you don't expect? We are not going through this life just as drudges. Paul says that the spirit of God is at work. Listen to this. It's the last verse and then I'll close. And all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. You are being transformed even in the midst of the very reversals that you're struggling against, the disappointments, the loss of a marriage, the loss of a business. The one to whom you have given your life, the victor over the parade, he is working right now through his spirit in you, bringing about the fragrance of Christ and in the lives of other people. And church family, I want to say, open your eyes to the possibility that there are students in your classroom in your English class, the last place you would ever expect, in whom he is already doing his work and he wants to use you. There are students that you're interfacing with at the university in whom he is already working in their lives and he wants to use you. But I need you to have your eyes open to where the Spirit of God is at work. Okay, let me pray. Spirit of God, 
how to bring all of this together that even in our disappointments and failures, those are not failures in your eyes, but you use those to bring, apart, bring about, to exude the fragrance of Jesus Christ himself. And we, not, we are not caught in a battle of flesh and blood, but we are part of some sort of cosmic interchange between principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this present world. So transport us beyond being stuck and open us to the possibility of, of joining you where you're at work, touching the lives of people, not living for the values of materialism, of competition, of autonomy, of voluptuousness, of, of all of those things. Instead, may we live with the freedom that Paul is describing here. May we look forward to how you are going to use us in ways that are going to surprise us. And may we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.